Hey there, everybody, and welcome to Cinema on Tap, your weekly movie podcast with a refreshing selection of movie reviews and industry topics on tap for discussion. As always, I am Scott Lentz, joined by my co-host and drinking buddy, Christian Ubius. And Christian, welcome to you, sir, to the fourth annual but first inaugural Tappies Awards. Woo! <laughs> um, not fourth annual, third, third annual. You get well. We did twenty twenty. No, we did one in twenty twenty. So this would be fourth. Fourth. Wow, good for us. Fourth. Uh, the award show, formerly known as the Drippies, in honor of our former name, Cinema Drip, presently known as the Tappies, because of our new name, Cinema on Tap, where we will be. Discussing the films we covered on the podcast this year, dishing out some awards like all good good awards shows do, and generally having a good time reflecting on the year in the pod. So, Christian, what were you going to say? gave me a heart attack right before we started recording. I gave you a heart attack right before we started recording? Well, I was so I, I was I wasn't even I was so in shock at the decisions that you made. <laughs> yeah. So for listeners at home who maybe forget, we independently take over categories and we own uh, creating them and then share the lists with the other person. <laughs> we give we let the other person choose one. Yes, uh, which is a little bit bizarre in this podcast that we share, but it also makes for incredible arguments. And I did make a decision at best supporting actor that almost caused christian's brain to short circuit i then corrected that decision and did in fact cause his brain to short circuit so i look forward to getting to that category when we get there. okay i was thinking about how we're recording this show today and i thought this show is so silly (laughs) because the more that you think about it we are reviewing and putting up next to each other um, the Super Mario Brothers movie and uh, Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. Yes, both correct. Uh, and it's when it's, Harry it's, met it's, Sally versus the Last bottoms. Airbender. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't say that, Christian, because Bottoms, although it's not as good as when Harry no, met Sally, no, 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 is no, no, still no. a good movie. <laughs> the, the no no no. The, the reason I say that is not because Bottoms is an amazing film. The reason I say that is because we need to think critically about both of them and determine which one has better performances or a screenplay or a director. In that way, Christian, we are just as silly as any award show who is already doing this. Just okay. this just this week, when the Golden Globe nominations were announced, we were joking with our good buddies, Keenan and Case in Color from the Hollywood Week podcast. We were joking with them about how absurd some of the nominations were, what, what omissions we were mad about, the category split that they do. I All award shows mad are silly. At the Golden Globes, though, I actually thought the Golden Globes were surprising and interesting in their nominations. And no, I don't agree with all of them, but I'm like, oh. I'm glad that someone likes this performance or this movie. I I was upset at their best box office cinematic achievement. Yeah, not a great because idea. Because that category, that what what? Because, okay, here's the thing. What did, that category doesn't mean anything. No. <laughs> because they chose eight movies, and it's not even the top eight movies in the box office of this year. Nope. Yeah, it's uh, it's why you don't do a Best Achievement in Popular Film Award or whatever the Oscars tried to do a few years ago. The good 
popular films just get nominated at the Oscars. Top Gun Maverick, Avatar The Way of Water, Titanic going further back in time. All the time, big box office hits get nominated at the Oscars. and Not, not it, all the time. Not yes, all the time. Yes, all the time, Christian. I would no. I, I there, there's this has been a major discussion point in the past fifteen years. Are we? Is the Academy nominating movies that people have actually seen? They, and yes, you know there needs to be a level of quality to it. But I, all of these years later, still believe that um, oh, uh, Avengers Endgame is one of the better movies of two thousand and nineteen. Well, congrats. So do I, but. I'm not like mad at missed out on the best picture nomination. <laughs> I, there are certainly movies I would have taken. I was swapped out for Avengers, but it, just because Avengers didn't get nominated doesn't people complain about the Oscars nominating movies that regular Joes don't see. When in reality, the Oscars often nominate really big movies, financially successful movies, popular movies, even everything everywhere all at once, which was not the biggest movie of last year was still the first A24 movie to make over a hundred million dollars in the global box office. Yeah. And people were in love with that movie. So I'll, I'll say one more thing to, to, to make you happy because I, I, I I feel, I feel like I've, I've been jerking you around a lot these past couple months, past few years, more like it, but go on. If John Wick chapter four was nominated for best picture this year, I would think it's a well-deserved nomination. (laughs) Ah, my guy. Ah, I love, being pandered to thank you i also would be quite delighted if john wick chapter four were somehow nominated for best picture at the oscars it's not going to be although i would love to see it pick up a nomination for like best cinematography or something it's it's not going to break through in that way and that's fine because i don't need oscars to validate my love for my man keanu reeves and his character of john wick but i would be uh quite pleased if that were to come to pass okay now let's I, I, I introduced we, we, we throw out the term best as like the best performances or the best movie that we've seen this year and I, I sent you that I wanted us to include a criteria for choosing best performances or best screenplay or best director I wanted us to see which one of these performances from an actor or, or which directorial choices taken or which screenplay is is not just high quality, but makes us want to see more from that director or that screenplay. Which one would feed into us wanting to tap another keg? I I will return to this thought in a different category, Christian, because I have a very serious question for you in that line of thinking. <laughs> Maybe okay. you can predict what I'm going to get at, but I will be returning to this point. Never, never you fear. And... I, I, I wanted to introduce this, this idea of whatever wins Best Picture, because this is the inaugural year, um, the same way that wine can be vintage, the same way that beer can be vintage and of a reserve quality. This, uh, imagine us having an imaginary bar, and we are putting this movie up there with the cinema on top stamp of approval. So that is the criteria that we are putting on there for whatever movie wins this year. But regardless, we should go into nominations. We normally start with the standard best supporting 
Let's start with Best Supporting Actor, actually. Before we even get there, Christian, we will follow sure. in the Oscars' footsteps and start with Best Supporting Actor. Let's just do a quick rundown of the, the months and movies that we talked about sure. here on the show. So if people forget, they can think back to some of our previous episodes. And if you're new to the show, of course, and you want to hear our conversation about any of these movies, feel free to go back. In January, we started with one of the great screenwriters of all time and a director as well nora efron looking at three of her films silkwood when harry met sally and sleepless in seattle we also did a bonus episode that month about our experience with virtual sundance which was a good time in february christian we looked at the films of another great filmmaker although one certainly working in a very different type of uh, type of movie M. Night Shyamalan. i actually think that <laughs> i actually think that m night Shyamalan and nora efron are 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 cousins to each other in their works uh distant cousins twice removed perhaps but we talked about m night Shyamalan because of the release of his new film knock at the cabin which we talked about on the show as well as the sixth sense signs and regrettably the last airbender <laughs> which is which is which is truly an abomination of a movie if you have not watched that movie in a while since you were a kid maybe it is as bad as you remember it yeah in march in honor of basketball yes you you did this one christian go for it so, in honor of basketball and March Madness, we looked at three basketball movies. We looked at Love and Basketball, White Men Can't Jump, and Coach Carter. For our bonus episode, we did an Oscars recap, and then we looked at John Wick Chapter 4. In April, we looked at video games, because in honor of my birthday, Illumination, the great people of Illumination decided to release a Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh, for shame. And then we also looked at Sonic the Hedgehog and Sonic the Hedgehog 2. We also looked at Tron and Tron Legacy, and for our April bonus episode, we did a video game grab bag where we looked at different video game movies over the past 20 years. Man, April was kind of awful. <laughs> I'm just going to go out on a limb and say it will not be taking home the award for, for best blend of the month, as we used to call them. In May, we had a return to form in terms of quality of movie as we looked at the star wars original trilogy had a guest on each episode that month and had wide-ranging conversations about star wars and had a jolly good time we talked through of course a new hope the empire strikes back and return of the jedi while spending our bonus episode doing a state of star wars having a wide-ranging conversation about the newer movies the disney plus shows and how we feel about star wars at this particular moment in 2023 and in June, to honor the release of his new film, we talked about one of my favorite directors, Wes Anderson, looking at the Royal Tenenbaums and the Grand Budapest Hotel in addition to Asteroid City. And we also talked about our respective Wes Anderson ranked lists, which was a good time. We took a break in July. That we did. And we came back in August to look at three movies that actually opened in July from 2023. We looked at Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. This is when we came back as Cinema on Top. Yes. Cinema Trip was dead. We came back as Cinema on Top. We looked at Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. We had a new logo designed by Elias Hoxie, who joined us for that episode. And for our uh, second week, we looked... Well, weeks two and three were Barbenheimer. We did Oppenheimer week two, featuring new friend of the show, Anthony Fins. And week three, we, you know, some Barbie bros ourselves discussed... Barbie. We and our... were Kenuff and also had to record that episode <laughs> twice because my computer died at the end of our first recording. <laughs> we survived. But we also looked at the top five movies of 2023 so far featuring good friend of the show, Nick. 
in September, we went back to school with everybody else, although they probably had started in August, but that's neither here nor there. And we talked about the modern high school movie, starting off with Bottoms, of course, new release from this year, and then talking about two recent classics, Lady Bird and Booksmart. From there, we talked about our respective top five high school movies with friend of the show, Keenan Culler, who I mentioned a minute ago, joining us in person, which is normally hard for him to do because he lives in Ohio. In Ohio. We also did a extra bonus episode that month talking about The Breakfast Club, a more classic yes, high school movie. In October, in October, go for it. We looked at occult supernatural horror movies, and we looked at three movies that are known but under the radar. We looked at The Changeling from Canada, Ringu from Japan, and The Babadook from Australia, with our bonus episode being Supernatural Horror Movie Recommendations. Man, I recommended a movie that's quite poor, I you should see. I was actually reflecting on that episode, Christian, at just your, your performance there is uh, both maddening and also inspiring in a, in a different <laughs> way. Um, really stretching the definition of recommendations to its breaking point but we survived we made it through go for it and in november we talked about disney all month long in honor of disney 100 because we're good american corporate cinephiles and talked about the golden age of disney looking at snow white and pinocchio the silver age of disney talking about cinderella and the jungle book and the Disney Renaissance, talking about Beauty and the Beast and The Lion King. For our bonus episode, we also talked through our respective top five Disney movies and reviewed Wish, Disney's new release. Never in a million years would I have thought that I would like Wish more than you. Never in a million years would I have thought that as well, Christian, and I'm still a little mad at you about it. (laughs) But when am I not mad at you about a movie opinion, Christian? When am I not mad? I, I truly don't know. I need to seek help. But... I'm normally not mad at you about any of your opinions. Yeah, because you're the one who's a little more prone to hot takes, and especially when it's a movie that I am obsessed with, like, say, I don't know, Raiders of the Lost Ark. (laughs) You'll come in and be like, it's fine, it's fine. And the Super Mario Brothers movie comes out and is an affront to cinema, and you're like, you know, this is a good movie. (laughs) I had a great time watching this film that is insulting to, uh, (laughs) to all. Hey, we one of my my good friend Matt dressed up as Mario for my birthday to watch that movie with us, and I was so happy. That was that was impressive. Kudos to Matt. And in December, we've already done two episodes. We none of them are kegs, but we did discuss what our most anticipated movies of 2024 are, and we also looked at the top five animated movies of the 21st century with. Uh, Henry Black and Elias Hoxie, just just for funs, just for funsies. I mean, it came on the coattails of our Disney month, so it was great to think about not just Disney, but also some other animated studios and their output over the last 23 years. That was a good time. It was. And now, sir, we are just going to look at what have we seen that's of high quality that we love, that we will go to bat for, that we will yell at other people for basically each other yes we'll specifically yell at each other because of course it is time to begin the tappies for 2023 starting with best supporting actor a category that i built out the nominees for best supporting actor are hiroyuki sonata for ringu Haley joel osmond for the sixth sense ryan gosling for barbie robert downey jr 
for Oppenheimer, and Dave Batista for Knock at the Cabin. Okay, sir. When you first filled out this list, you had not included Ryan Gosling's Ken for Barbie. You are correct. He was in the honorable mention category. And, and I thought you were crazy bananas. And I am not crazy bananas. I did have, actually, Harrison Ford for Empire Strikes Back in this category. And, which was, is an amazing choice, <laughs> except I said get rid of either Haley Joel Osment or Dave Bautista. And instead I got rid of one of my favorite actors, Harrison Ford. <laughs> In honor and of a, a baffling attack. decision that you have made in a different category, Christian. Uh, in best actor, we will we will get to that and it was a little a little a little nice revenge for me for your confusing list building as well. What I okay. All right. We're just going to go straight into it. I'm not going to lie, I'm here, and I'm kind of, I'm, I'm very much so, I'm rooting for, I'm rooting for Gosling, I'm rooting for Ken. So, you had to write him in, essentially. You voted third party, you got Gosling on the ballot, and now you're going to try to pull for him to win the whole category. Okay, Gosling is out of his mind in this performance. I and it's would amazing. say he is thoroughly in his mind. Although it's a very good performance. Uh, Ryan Gosling is just a very at, funny man. <laughs> I'm just Ken on repeat. I have been playing that song on repeat, singing it with the windows down, screaming the lyrics. I'm just Ken is incredible. He has perfect comedic timing. He has beautifully perfect comedic timing. And what he is doing is so difficult. Because it's not it's it's not just the comedic timing. It's not just... A, his line reading it also has to do with his physicality the entire time because he needs to be the most insecure man who has ever lived <laughs> yeah i mean yes this is true yes. it is it, yes. a, a very good performance i i really will not be sad if he gets an oscar nomination which it really is pointing to that becoming a reality having just rewatched oppenheimer for a third time I am even more impressed with Robert Downey Jr. and what he's doing there. And although, again, award shows are silly. We like the Oscars, but we don't base our self-worth on them. It's If I had to pick someone I was rooting for, I might have to say I'm rooting for RDJ in that category this year. But I, before we have it out um, about those two, perhaps, Hiroyuki Sonata is your pick that you, you yes. slotted in, despite um, the fact that I was building out this one. I think it's a great choice. I just want to... He's probably not going to win uh, from how we feel about his other performances, but just want to give you a second to talk on him and, and his presence here on this list. Oh, just because he needs to portray someone who has sixth sense within this movie, which is incredibly difficult to do. And not just that. There is a love that he has to have within this. There is chemistry that he needs to have in this. And there's terror that he needs to have in it. We need to be invested in the character, but also we need to believe that this character is a loving husband slash ex-husband and someone who is potentially a loving father. And he lets that, he, he develops that character in his mannerisms, in his manner of speaking, and in his timing. And without him, this that Ringu would not be as emotionally devastating as it is. So that is why I felt like we needed to recognize him as well. Yeah, absolutely. No complaints here. It, I remember 
as we talked about that episode, that we were both a little bit underwhelmed by Nanako Matsushima's leading performance in that movie. Not because it's bad necessarily, but because it was just a little bit inconsistent. There were times when it would drift into melodrama, and we didn't. We both agreed it didn't necessarily serve the movie to have that. Whether it was a choice from her or how uh, Hideo Nakata directed her, and, and yet we both came out feeling strongly about Hiroyuki Sonata and and his uh, just very like strong and like solid confident confident yes. performance. So absolutely no complaints here. Um, speaking of Sixth Sense, Haley Joel Osment, you had some complaints about category fraud here although the oscars nominated him in this category back in the day it is fair to argue that he is more of a leading character in that movie but that said i think he is simply outstanding in in that movie um he is his early performances are mind-blowing and in fact he is a prior award winner here on our show having won best actor back in 2020 for AI, yes, 100%. Which he defeated Harrison Ford once again that year. So <laughs> Harrison Ford got booted off the list this year, and Haley Joel remains. But it's just an utterly impressive performance from such a young actor as he I, I just, sees dead people. I just watched Forrest Gump, and he plays Forrest Gump's son. He, yes, he's Forrest. And Haley Joel Osment is like three years old in this movie, and 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 it is is the camera cannot leave him because he has such charisma and i go how are you born with this it's it is an unbelievable gift that he has and although his career has not maintained the stature that he had as a young actor it's still incredible to catch up with those early performances and dave batista one that you don't quite share the affection for but i I got to make this category i liked him yeah i when i think back on some of my favorite images of 2023 I think of early on in Knock at the Cabin when he is reaching out to shake the hand of a young girl in that movie, the adopted daughter of Jonathan Groff. And again, forgetting an actor's name, apologies. But uh, yeah, Batista's giant hand reaching out to her tiny, delicate hand and the conviction with which he carries this religious fanatic in that movie is to me incredibly impressive and i think he is legitimately a gifted actor not just in more comedic roles and action-oriented roles like guardians of the galaxy where he gets to flex those muscles but has real dramatic chops as well and i really hope that he gets more opportunities like knock at the cabin where he can use his physicality in ways other than violent or comedic purposes her name is Kristen Quee. thank you now couple things though one dave bautista is also arguably a lead in this movie arguably yes this is true it's more of an ensemble and it's hard to pick out like you you identify with the family obviously where he's in the more villainous role but understood understood that he could be argued to be a leading character as opposed to a supporting one so christian that leaves us with two guys who are actually dueling duking it out for Oscars this year in this category, Gosling and RDJ. Uh, okay, look, it's either Gosling or RDJ. I don't think it's any of the other three. That's fair. I, I, if I like gun to my head how to pick, I might pick Kayla Joel Osment, but I, Wait, well, I'm okay. Fight for him. Look, I, I mean, he is utterly fantastic in the sixth sense. His line of "I see dead people" is not just iconic for the twist that it represents in that movie and how it's become a famous line but 
because of the performance too people remember this unbelievable performance from a not even 10 year old actor i think he was nine when this movie came out and the the I, I use this word for Hiroyuki Sonata, the confidence that he carries in these young performances. I mean, thinking to AI as well, which is what he won the award for on our show a couple of years ago. It's, it is almost supernatural in and of itself. Like it's literally like a gift from God that a kid that young <laughs> can hold the screen the way he does and do it and repeat it, do it multiple times in multiple movies. Um, I, I love his performance in the sixth sense and despite that, I'm still I'm pulling for uh, for Downey because I just think he is my favorite supporting performance of the year. But you're pulling for Gosling, Christian. So we're at our I'm first impasse of the night in our first uh, <laughs> our first category. <laughs> we are both higher on Oppenheimer than we are on Barbie. Yes. Okay. I'm I'm higher on Ken though. <laughs> Alrighty, Christian. Here's the uh, here's the first concession of the evening. You got him onto the ballot against uh, my my judgment, and now you've led him to victory because he has okay. the Kennedy. He is Kenuff. That is, he is Kenuff. Ryan Gosling. He's in just Ken. Barbie. He's just Ken. You know, again, thinking back to iconic moments from this year, I'm just Ken. Really, is one of the best parts of that movie. And it's one of the best parts of this year. Yes. In, in and outside of movies. And it is obviously built around Gosling's performance as a as a classic triple threat entertainer. Singing, dancing, acting. People hated on some of his singing and dancing in other musical roles, but he really is good here getting to getting to do these big songs, getting to be the dopey sidekick to Barbie, going on a journey of self-discovery on his own. I am not sad to see that Ryan Gosling has been getting his flowers this year. And so I will defer to you on this one and give him the first okay. ever tappy for Best Supporting Actor. It, it, it's in the mail. It's in the mail, Ryan. Ryan, you got a lot of awards coming your way. Ours, it'll be there. Best Supporting Actress. This is a move on to this category. wild category. <laughs> <laughs> Just want to put it out there. This is the most unhinged we got. In Best Supporting Actress, we put Carrie Fisher for Return of the Jedi. Amen. We put Laurie Metcalf for Lady Bird. Amen. We put Angela Lansbury as Mrs. Potts for Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Yep. We, <laughs> we put Rosie Perez for White Men Can't Jump. Mm-hmm. And that we put, book. <laughs> and we put Billy Lord for Booksmart. Yeah, yeah, we did. We got mother and okay. daughter on this list, folks. Carrie Fisher and Billy Lord. Um... Okay, a couple things. <laughs> One, yes. this is our first animated nominee. Yeah, how about that? Um, interesting choice. I I also <laughs> love Angela Lansbury. She is a legend, but I don't know if I would have nominated her here. <laughs> so feel free to, to speak to that, Christian, because okay. the, uh, the cast of Bottoms is looking at you quite angrily. Emily Blunt is sipping a martini and staring at you. <laughs> Any woman in a Wes Anderson movie. I mean, there's lots of other options we could have chosen. So <laughs> why okay. why start with the animated voice acting now? There are so many things that, that you need to do to have an animated movie go well. First of all, must be the animation. 
second of all, have to be the voice performances. As you correctly critiqued the Super Mario Brothers movie, the only person who is trying something in that movie is Jack Black. What a king. Angela Lansbury in this movie is guiding this movie from scene to scene. What? She is <laughs> She is the one who sings Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, dude, but she's not guiding the movie from scene to scene. 100% she is. It is her empathy for the characters. It is her explanation that she's giving to Belle. It is her connection to the Beast in order for him to soften up to love Belle. Yes, alongside Clogsworth and Lumiere. Yo, <laughs> It, it is wonderful. You cannot tell me that if if, if it was a other voices would just make that part so awful. This is where if I were if roles were reversed, Christian, you'd be like, but bro, what if The Rock was Mrs. Potts? Wouldn't that be so funny? And I would be like, no, Christian. And yes, I agree <laughs> that Angela Lansbury is very good in this role. I I think you may overstate her involvement, but what is important is that she does get to sing beauty and the beast in one of the most beautiful and innovative sequences in that movie so as questionable as it may be angela lansbury welcome to the tappies <laughs> hopefully we can talk about um one of my favorite angela lansbury performances in the manchurian candidate someday on this show and, and get and sink our teeth into live action angela okay but you you added Billy Lord for Booksmart. I sure did, Christian. And again, <laughs> Emily Blunt is even more angrily staring at me over a martini <laughs> because I had the chance to put her in. I just, when I think back to Booksmart, one of the biggest elements of that movie that I remember is how truly hilarious Billy Lord is in that movie. Playing one of these, like, weird girls at their school <laughs> who just pops up at every party everywhere they go she's inexplicably there her name is Gigi. she rides like she has a uh, skylar Desondo, who's uh, a beloved young actor as well as her sidekick her almost unwilling sidekick and she's just so hilarious in a very funny movie and wanted to give her some love because uh, although of course her mother is carrie fisher and that's still perhaps the most famous thing about her I would love to see her get more opportunities. She has had okay. a few roles, um, one of them being Star Wars, you know, and she appeared in all three films in the sequel trilogy, and that's half of her movie acting. So I'd love to see her get more roles, break out of the American horror story situation that she's in on TV, where that's most of the acting she's been doing for her entire career. She's one of Ryan Murphy's go-to folks, but... Would love to see Billy Lord get some more, especially in comedy, like get some more opportunities there. And speaking of her mother, Carrie Fisher is here. Carrie Fisher is here in Return of the Jedi because I don't think there is a scene that is more iconic with her in it than her in the golden bikini strangling Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> oh my gosh, Christian. The, the, there's so many iconic moments in those movies and you went with the horniest one. Good job. <laughs> Way to go. When she's strangling Jabba, it's amazing. It, and yes, and, it is. And it's and as we talked about when we reviewed those movies and revisited them, it's because Leia is a very action-oriented character. She is not a damsel in distress. Even when she is arguably at her most damsel in distress, she does, still takes action and gets rid of Jabba herself. But she does have very tender moments. Of course. It's a well-rounded movie, character. 
as she is leaving the Ewoks, basically, when they first meet her, when she they dress her up as their princess, basically. And as she is talking to them, as she is needing to reckon with the fact that Luke is her brother, there is vulnerability in her eyes. There is vulnerability in the softness that she takes in her voice as compared to the roughness that she showed earlier, which is character development. You can see Carrie Fisher wondering why the hell George Lucas made her kiss Mark Hamill in that last movie. You see it in her eyes and that tenderness, Christian. I thought you saw it in Harrison Ford's face when uh, he's making out with their ass. <laughs> you do. You do see it in his face as well. She... I. Honestly, I may have put her in this category for when Harry met Sally because I love her role in that movie. She is so fun. You could have double nominated her. Uh, we could have, but we, we went with Princess Leia. And yeah, no complaints getting Princess Leia in, in my award show. And then we have Laurie Metcalf and Rosie Perez. Let, let me reveal my cards. I feel like this is a fight between Rosie Perez and Laurie Metcalf. Let me reveal my cards, Christian. I feel yes. like if this were a race... Laurie Metcalf would finish the race. Let's say it's uh, it, it's the mile run. She'd finish this sure. race in like a five and a half minute time. Second place finishers at like seven minutes. <laughs> That's how I feel about these nominees. I think Laurie Metcalf wins this in a walk. She is unbelievable in Lady Bird. But pitch me on, uh, on Rosie Perez. Rosie Perez is the best part of White Men Can't Jump. It is, first of all, she's got a Debbie boyfriend uh woody harrelson's character and uh, how much she keep like there is an urging in her voice for him to stop betting their money for him to stop betting their money when she gets her own money for him to stop trying to she is the only one here who cares about forward momentum Whereas there is the realization in her that for her to actually move forward she needs to leave the boyfriend that she has and in that development of what it takes to not be stuck in the same place that you have always in, in not just the, the vulnerability of her voice, but also how she's trying to use her sexuality and move forward, there's, there, there's such like a, like a tenderness to her, which is hard. It is hard to play someone who needs to realize that she needs to leave someone she loves. And she sold me on it, and I rooted for her. And to me, the great thing about White Men Can't Jump is that it was so difficult to say, look, I love Woody Harrelson and Rosie Perez together, but I know that Woody Harrelson has shown he cannot move on, and Rosie Perez can Without congrats, that, the movie doesn't work. Congrats to Gloria. She gets away from an absolute loser. <laughs> Billy Oil. But you, but you don't leave that thinking he's an absolute loser. You leave that feeling pity for him. Yeah, so that I think he's a loser. That's the that if you have <laughs> pity, <laughs> I I know what you mean. You feel good about Billy because he uh, he and Sydney get to play an epic game of one on one that takes place almost entirely in slow motion and it's amazing <laughs> and and he still unfortunately does not win back glory in the end and you know a little bit of a spoiler there if you missed our conversation about white men can't jump but it's one of the best moments in that movie for sure especially 
do to Ron Shelton's screenplay, which is bold enough to make that decision, not to go for the classic happy ending where the guy wins back the girl, but instead creates this character who is confident in her own skin, her own abilities, her own desire in life, like you're saying, who's unafraid to ditch the guy that she knows because she knows that he's no longer good for her and she has to move on with her life. And it, it's a, a great stroke of screenwriting. I, I think it's one of the better parts about that movie. I, I really like Rosie Perez in White Men Can't Jump, but to me, Laurie Metcalf is still the far and away the winner here. I think her performance as Lady Bird's mother is so painfully knowing to so many people who grew up with a mother like that. And although that wasn't my experience, growing up with a mother who could be so cruel and cutting one moment and then so genuinely loving the next. Someone who is acutely aware of the sacrifices that she has made to make uh, Lady Bird's life possible, Miguel, her brother, make his life possible. Who is so acutely aware of the sacrifices that she's made and, and cannot always understand why her kids don't get it, but takes it out on them in the wrong sorts of ways. And she's such a compelling and complex and true to life character. And if that's anything like Greta Gerwig's real relationship with her mother, then even more incredible that it was committed to celluloid forever. <laughs> I'm sure her mom had some thoughts, but it's just a beautiful performance. And especially across from Saoirse Ronan, who she just has incredible chemistry with in that mother-daughter way. I mean, you think back to scenes like the thrift store where they <laughs> like she's mean to ladybird sees a friend has this lovely little moment chatting like hey how's it going how you doing oh we missed you at this oh yeah blah 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 okay we'll see you later and then her and ladybird go back to prom dress shopping as if, as if nothing had happened um I, I to me it's just it's one of the best performances of recent memory um and one that I think is definitely the winner here. But do you have anything you want to add or anything that's complicating this for you beyond what you've already said about Rosie Perez? Already highlighted the name. <laughs> I was busy looking at your beautiful face, Christian. Wow. Laurie Metcalf, your Best Supporting Actress Oscar was not given to you, and it was a crime. So your Best Supporting Actress, Tappy, is in the mail. It's on the way. Should we do... Should we do the two other acting categories or should we move on to best screenplay to split that up let's let's do screenplay christian we've been talking acting okay so best screenplay uh, a category that i fleshed out you provided us yes. star wars the empire strikes back which i think is a great choice story by george lucas of course but the actual screenplay written by lee brackett and lawrence kasdan i added yes. when harry met sally by nora efron love and basketball by jenna prince bythewood oppenheimer christopher nolan and ladybird Greta Gerwig. So one one pretty neat thing about this category, I think that it just speaks to the movies that we watched this year. A lot of uh, female screenwriters and female filmmakers, specifically with Nora Ephron, um, not directing When Harry Met Sally, of course, but directing later on. Gina Prince-Bythewood and Greta Gerwig, though, writing and directing those movies. And Lee Brackett, one of her final screenplays before she passed away, was The Empire Strikes Back. So just pretty cool to see that on our list here. What is your initial reaction to the list that I've made? I was I was glad to see Empire there, gonna, so go for it. I'm going to give an honorable mention to Sleepless in Seattle. Absolutely. I mean, I wanted to pick one Nora Ephron movie. And, and When Harry Met Sally being her original idea, I think, is what uh, put it over the edge for me. Sleepless in Seattle, of course, being based on uh, another writer's initial script, but... 
still a, a classic and a movie that I love just a touch beneath When Harry Met Sally. Here's my, here's my thing about Empire Strikes Back. It has arguably the greatest twist in cinematic history. Can't really complain there. So that's, that's what's on, uh, in, in, in its corner. We've got When Harry Met Sally and it, I have met 50-50%. I, I think it's evenly split 50-50% who is rooting for Billy Crystal's character, Harry, and who is rooting for McRide's character, Sally. You mean like people in real life that you've... Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. And that is hard. Because I think when I talk to a lot of people about, say, Marriage Story, another 50-50 split movie... I, I actually think most people are leaning towards the Adam Driver side of the movie. To truly have that equal importance and care for both of the characters in this film and so properly develop their on-again, off-again romance is, well, is an achievement. For Love and Basketball, the four... What is it? The I know that's um, Gina Prince Bythewood. When uh, she was talking about that movie, she wanted it to be the black when Harry met Sally, but also she divided it into four sections to represent four different parts of their lives. All four are important. I can remember scenes from all four of them, and it so e really well balances how much Sana Lathan's character is developing in the film. Now, we've also got Oppenheimer. Which is, um, has high ambitions that I don't always think it succeeds in when it comes to its screenplay. I am even more impressed by the screenplay on our recent revisit, I gotta say. I, I think its grand ambitions are largely achieved, but also has a very successful moment-to-moment just uh, uh, Nolan's ability to write good dialogue, I think, has improved over time. And in Oppenheimer, you get all kinds of one-liners and zingers buried in with the rest of the immensely fast pacing, getting this three-hour movie to fly by as we soar over some of the most monumental decisions in American history. Um, it, to me, when, it's an it incredibly said, impressive script. Led by the junior senator from Massachusetts, a man by the name of John F. Kennedy. Some guy trying to make a name for himself. Uh, Kennedy. John F. Kennedy. <laughs> he should be ashamed. <laughs> Absolutely not. It's it's great. It's it's stealing uh, like stealing liberally from superhero movies to, to do that sort of reveal of like the drop in the Easter egg. It's so funny to me. <laughs> I love it. Okay, but the, the movie that actually has the best dialogue of all the ones we've seen this year is Lady Bird. Um, incorrect, but uh, second place, absolutely. After, 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 when Harry met Sally for you? Yeah, because when Harry met Sally is a is a flawless screenplay. Okay. <laughs> so, then, then, then question. Yes. Can we eliminate any of these options right now? I mean, if we're going to eliminate any of them, I I would I love Star Wars, but I would slot it into fifth place given these nominees. I don't know if it would, it's fifth place, but I agree that I don't think it's Well, winning. in that, would you put Oppenheimer in fifth place? Is that what you're yes. getting at? So, yes. I mean, even so, I love Nolan's script for Oppenheimer. I find it very impressive he did that. He's the solely credited writer there. But, yeah, I'm, I, I would... We got to see him talk about yes. making that screenplay. Yes. Um, 
But yeah, I, I would put way, both that and Empire in four and five kind of interchangeably. Uh, okay. It is Nora Ephron v. Gina Prince Bythewood v. Greta Gerwig. Okay. Um, I know who you would pick. You do. I just said it. <laughs> I I love Love and Basketball, and its structure is incredible. But I don't think a movie made me think so much or was so wonderfully didactic in the feelings and emotions between its characters as Lady Bird. What do you mean by didactic? What is Lady Bird teaching they, you? Saoirse Ronan's Lady Bird is openly talking about her feelings, like very directly saying what it is that she feels to her mother. She doesn't just passive-aggressively share her frustration. She says, why can't you just tell me to stop um, moving my feet? Why do you always need to? She's so direct with her emotions. And it's, I think, a, a testament to how wonderful Saoirse Ronan's uh, what's the best way to put this? Sir Sheridan's performance is alongside how impressive, vulnerable, direct, raw the emotions that Greta Gerwig is writing down are. I, I'm okay. Can we agree that it's when Harry met Sally versus Lady Bird? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Love and Basketball is a really beautiful script, and, and it's a the fact that that's a debut movie is incredibly impressive. Like you said, carrying these two people across these different periods of their life and and creating that arc is so impressive on a debut feature film. Um, so Gina Prince-Bythewood deserves her flowers for that. Plus, one thing I remember about that movie, especially as you're talking about it with Lady Bird, is that the families of Sana Lathan and um, Marcus Epps' characters are... Or Mike Epps. Mike Epps? Yes. Are really like those are fleshed out and real too it's you know sometimes in romantic or like comedies especially but romantic films the central couple is so developed and so three-dimensional and everyone else around them is a stock character but the families of those two people are really rich in, in terms of the the layers that the performers are bringing there and that by prince bythewood's script provides them to work with so yeah phenomenal phenomenal screenplay there it's just I slightly prefer Lady Bird to it and prefer When Harry Met Sally to just about every script ever written. So <laughs> it's it's hard. But love that. Um, I, I'm very torn because I know that you, you love Greta Gerwig and, and Lady Bird. I mean, I love Greta Gerwig too. You love Lady Bird a little bit more than me. We just gave Laurie Metcalf an award. So I'm like, come on, When Harry Met Sally. But what do you think? What do I think? Um, I think the better script is Lady Bird, but I think the harder script to write is When Harry Met Sally. So we're giving Nora Ephron some love here on the Tappies. Um, I am going to let you have it. Amazing! Look at that. We are really we're really honoring each other's choices here on this this particular edition of the Tappies. I think we've we've had it out in the past, but <laughs> okay, we're sharing. Okay, we're sharing this year. The Birdman year. I don't think you understand. We were incredibly civil the entire episode until the end. Because you were intentionally saving all of your heel energy for that particular moment. To the point where we literally had to award a co-best picture award that year. Which is... I, I've, I lost sleep about that, Christian. Anyway, we are now on... Do you want to talk best director or do you want to get back to acting? 
Let's talk best director. Best director is a yes. category that you fleshed out and I gave one choice for. So you go ahead and read the, the nominees. Nominees are George Lucas for Star Wars A New Hope. Incredible. Richard Marquin for Star Wars Return of the Jedi. Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird. Gina Prince-Bythewood for Love and Basketball. And Wes Anderson for The Grand Budapest Hotel. Congratulations to all the nominees. Christian, this is the moment where I return to something you said earlier on in this podcast, where you said you want the the nominees for this year's awards really to represent people that you would like to see more from, watch more movies from. I said the and winners. Base, base a, a keg around as we get into next year's design. <laughs> I said the winners. So, Christian, your challenge is name a single Richard Marquand film beyond Star Wars Return of the Jedi. Um, isn't it Attack of the uh, of the Killer Tomatoes? Attack of the Killer Tomatoes is not a Richard Marquand film. Did he write it? I don't believe he did. Uh. <laughs> okay, there is. Let me uh, let me let me look up Richard. Attack Marquand. of the Killer right. Tomatoes, directed by John DeBello, written by John DeBello, J. Stephen Peace, okay. Costa Dillon, this and Rick is... Rockwell. This is what okay. This is this is what I thought. Richard Marquand died a year after Return of the Jedi, or a couple years after Return of the Jedi. Yes, he died shortly after, unfortunately. So, that's not fair. He has other films, Christian. He has other films that he directed. I think Return you don't of the know Jedi, any of them. I think Return of the Jedi would have given him more leeway to do things that he lived longer yeah the sad thing is his follow-up to that was a film called jagged edge with glenn close and jeff bridges which is not a movie that people know as well as return of the jedi i myself have not seen it but obviously when you're you're making a drama starring two really big movie stars you're going to continue to move up in the world so it is a shame that we lost him i think christian one thing I said to you, not less uh, humorously than my prompt there, more seriously, is that I think you missed the best director of a Star Wars movie because I would have put Irvin Kirshner here for Empire Strikes Back, but you managed to get both Lucas and Markwind. I know that what's difficult is that Return of the Jedi is your favorite Star Wars movie. Yes. And we kind of wanted to acknowledge Lucas as the creator of the whole shebang. So I still am curious why... We chose two Star Wars nominees and then showered more love on Lady Bird and Love and Basketball, which, again, two beautifully directed <laughs> movies, fantastically directed movies. But <laughs> it's like multiple Star Wars, uh, some movies were shown a lot of love to. Um, and then I had to fit in Wes Anderson. When you're good, you you're good. <laughs> when you're good, you're good. I know, but let's uh, – I'm just gonna be. I'm okay. just gonna tell you. If Richard Marquand wins, I'm not gonna be happy. <laughs> okay, Richard Marquand might not be winning. Guess what? Wes Anderson will also not be winning. Which is your loss because I I am not afraid to be correct about the Grand Budapest Hotel. It's a movie that I love, okay. and I know that you don't. But I put it on there because I had one choice. And if you were gonna put two Star Wars directors on here and skip Irvin Kershner, then I was gonna put Wes Anderson on the list. Okay, so we are then. We've got George Lucas, Greta Gerwig, Gina Prince-Bythewood. Three people As who the... are often put together in conversation. 
talking about the sensitive and 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 beautiful romantic uh, love and basketball the debut of Regina Prince Bythewood similarly sensitive uh, not debut film George Lucas Star Wars yeah they couldn't be more different but where, where are you leaning for this category Christian George Lucas Regina Prince Bythewood so you like that Gerwig's script better than her her directing yes <clears throat> well look George Lucas literally invented a franchise and uh, helped make ILM into what it was today. Now, I am the, I, I am like the, the sound proponent that it does not just have to be impact. The movie has to work. Lord knows I know you know you think that. <laughs> George Lucas is having to weave together such vast territory and landscapes and also confined compact spaceship scenes that are mainly driven by the by actors chewing on scenery and it that is hard that is so so hard i do need to say though Gina prince bythewood's love and basketball especially in the up in your head asana lathan scenes where she is holding the basketball and trying to think about where it is that it should go is beautifully beautifully directed and staged all of the basketball scenes in love and basketball are are, are fantastic to watch yeah I, I specifically again recalling our conversation one thing i noted about prince bythewood's role as director is she gave me something i'd never seen in a sports movie before which is first person basketball where she puts you in the perspective of the characters as they're dribbling up the court, looking to pass, looking to shoot. It's a really cool uh, device that I'm surprised more more basketball films use. didn't steal. Yeah, and I guess it's because you'd be accused of stealing from Love and Basketball at this point. But yeah, a really, really cool device. Again, proving that her debut as a filmmaker isn't just that she had a great script and also got lucky enough to, to shoot it, but she knew how she wanted to shoot that movie and she brought some real creativity and vision to it. it it wasn't just a great script but it also becomes a great movie because of the fact that she's sitting in the director's chair question for you okay it's omar epps I, mike epps is an entirely different person I, I should be ashamed of myself i'm sorry to both omar and mike epps question for you yes um of greta gerwig's ladybird Gina Prince Bythewood's Love and Basketball, George Lucas and Star Wars. Who would you choose? I mean, see, this is tough because you have two directors writing tenderly observed, witty, lovely stories, mining from their own life to, to tell beautiful coming of age stories. And you also have George Lucas creating Star Wars. <laughs> it's just really hard to be me and try to choose between those things. I I think I might give Prince Bythewood an edge over Gerwig. Not that I think it's a, a poorly... Obviously, it's a very well-directed movie, and I'm glad that she's here. Um, but again, some of that visual ingenuity, I, I give credit to Prince Bythewood. And even now, I think back to 
moments where Gerwig is, is showing some vision and creativity with her camera as well, particularly that scene near the end of the movie where she's cutting between Metcalf and Ronan as they're each driving in Sacramento, right. and, 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 you, right. and she mirrors the two of them and their experiences as mother and daughter. It's beautiful stuff, especially when you're mining from your own life and reflecting on your own relationship with your mother and putting it into your art. It's just incredible. But, I mean, I, I might be a terrible terrible boy who likes boy movies and <laughs> say George let's Lucas. Give, let's, let's give it to George Lucas then. <laughs> let's give it to... Apologies to to all lovers of serious film <laughs> and, the, and the beautiful coming of age drama. Um, but I mean, George Lucas we need to be true. We have to be true to ourselves. But like you said, okay. it's also like Lucas's role as director and then shadow director for the following films. Uh, it, it is impressively done. Uh, staging that big homage to all of the samurai movies that he loved, to the serials that he grew up watching like Flash Gordon and synthesizing it into something uh, new and American that created this massive franchise and wasn't like a craven disaster uh, early on, but it was genuinely like trying to tell a great and classic adventure. He absolutely nailed it. And Star Wars to this day remains uh, the original trilogy remains some of my favorite movies ever made. So got to give it to my guy GL. Okay. Let's go back into the acting performances. Back into acting, Christian. We go to Best Actress, a category that I fleshed out and you gave one selection for. That selection was Sana Lathan in Love and Basketball. I also... Although, I don't know if I should have chosen... I, I, I feel like I could have trusted you to put Sana Lathan on there. I like to think that I would have done that, but I thank you for not even providing me a moment of doubt. We also have Meg Ryan, duly nominated for her roles in When Harry Met Sally and Sleepless in Seattle. By that, we mean she is nominated once, but she is nominated for both roles. Correct. Because Scott... <laughs> Yeah, because I because... am a beautiful and talented genius, and you respect me and love hosting this podcast with me. Also have Margot okay. Robbie for Barbie, Saoirse Ronan for Lady Bird, and Essie Davis for The Babadook. All incredible performances, and I can tell you right now that it should go to Sana Lathan. Okay. All right, Christian. You're really really in on Love and Basketball. This is really one of the biggest discoveries of the year for you, and I love that. Was basketball my idea that month, or was it nope, yours? Nope, it was mine. Okay. I was trying to take some credit, but I can't, alas. I did football a couple of years ago. Which was awful. <laughs> no, that was, that was great, Christian. I don't know what you're talking about. We got to watch the cinematic classic that is Draft Day. Um, Which you asked me... I think your opening question was, was this a good choice for this draft of the month? And I said, no. Can we end the podcast now? You were incorrect, and we spent time litigating exactly why. That movie is terrible and beautiful in equal measure. But we're here to okay. talk about other things that are beautiful, and those are performances from lovely esteemed actresses. Now... I want to pivot quickly into the only movie that we have yet to talk about on this podcast thus far, which is... Just Barbie? The, no, we talked about it extensively, Christian, because oh. you made me give Ryan Gosling an award. We oh, have yeah, not talked about The Babadook, of course, which, if y'all missed that, folks, uh, does follow a mother and her son who are being potentially haunted by an evil children's book character come to life who is The Babadook. 
And that movie is one that really bowled me over when we watched it. I recounted my experience of not only being scared to my uh, to to the point where my I was feeling my heart thumping in my chest while I watched this movie, but also moved to genuine tears, not because I was so scared, but because of Essie Davis screaming into the void near the end of that movie and reforming, uh, reforging herself as a strong mother who loves her son and will do anything for him to protect him. I think her performance in that movie is incredible, and it's one of a, a string of phenomenal performances in horror movies over recent years. I know Tony Collette in Hereditary is another one where people always say, "Oh, the Oscars should have given her some love," and because um, they don't show enough respect to horror movies. But Essie Davis for me is another one of those truly great performances that just so happens to be from a horror movie. Because she needs to show a woman who is losing her mind. And, and, and becoming, for lack of a better word, feral. And she's being controlled, basically, by the Babadook. And it's captivating. Um, and, and Meg Ryan, look, you love Meg Ryan in When Harry Met Sally. I love Meg Ryan in Sleepless in Seattle. How could you not? There, and and it's, it's all spoken of, basically, in one scene. And for me, in Sleepless in Seattle. Tom Hanks looks over in the airport and sees that Meg Ryan has arrived. And for that one moment, Meg Ryan is the most beautiful person who has ever lived. And he's just like silent and starts to like follow her. And you're like, I get it. Like, I, I get it. She just, the camera cannot help but be, but stay on her because of one. Yet she, she is gorgeous. But also, she is so, what's the best way? Her yearning to look for what love actually is and someone who is looking for love and to, I don't know, what's the best way to put this? To change her life from the monotony that it is at that moment with the guy that it is, it. And the way in which she just can stand and smile is is secondhand nature to her it's amazing i think honestly although i think when harry met sally is not just a perfect script but a perfect movie and her and billy crystal's chemistry in it is a massive massive part of that i think too she really gets some opportunities to actually like act (laughs) in sleepless in seattle thinking of those early scenes where she and tom hanks are forging this connection across time and space without being in the same state as each other, let alone the same room, as she talks back to the radio show that he appears on. You start believing in their connection, like purely through movie magic and how she holds the camera alone in her car. Um, She is so, so wonderful in both of these movies and I have no shame about nominating them both. Now, Margot Robbie, of course, we awarded her co-star already, and it seems like she might be headed for what could happen at the Oscars this year, where she goes home empty-handed, but her co-star is awarded. Any any feelings about that, Christian? About Margot Robbie maybe not winning this award for us? I mean, she, she's Barbie. He's just Ken. <laughs> Stereotypical Barbie, nonetheless, which is a great, great running joke. 
Um, no, okay. Margot Robbie is forced to both be stereotypical Barbie, which it, it, it's it's it, it's a it's a great joke, but a joke nonetheless that Margot Robbie looks exactly like what you would picture Barbie to look like. There is that that line in the movie yeah. where she's like, "I'm not even like what it, she says something like, "I'm not even beautiful anymore" or something like that. Then then Helen Mirren's narrator jumps back in to be like, "Note to the producers: If you're trying to make this comment with Margot Robbie, you've chosen the wrong actress or <laughs> like whatever she says." No, but Margot Robbie is. What's the? It it is impressive how much she commits to the bit. How much each when she looks over at the older woman who is sitting on the bench with her, she begins to cry, because she is realizing what it is that she cannot be, and um, she's she, she has such an internal struggle, and she does portray that internal struggle very very well. It's a wonderful performance. It's a wonderful part that was written for her. Not um, true. It Christian. You'll recall other actresses were attached to that role, most notably Amy Schumer attached to the role of Barbie before. I uh, thought that was prior to Greta Gerwig taking on the script. Though. I think it was, but who knows how many. I guess her and Noah Baumbach did write. They're the sole credited writers for, for uh, the final edition of the movie. So perhaps it was written for her or with her in mind, but, you know. <laughs> Amy Schumer as Barbie is certainly a choice. So the I, I I'm just more impressed. Uh, impressed is the wrong word. I, I I don't know. I was captivated more by say Saoirse Ronan in Lady Bird as she yeah, navigates life. Double Gerwig she, on this list. Hundred percent. Saoirse Ronan's not just navigating life. She is looking around and trying to see what it is that um, her mother actually wants of her, what it is that she herself is expecting of life. She is laughing and crying, and she's being stupid, and she is being the wisest person who has ever lived. Well. And she's going through this roller coaster <laughs> of emotions because she's a teenager going off to college. It's the most transition. It's one of the most transitional states you can ever be in. And she's pulling it off very, very well because she's not ending that by saying, I figured everything out. She's ending that by saying, hey, I have realized this one thing. And now I can move on to this next thing. And I, it, it's my favorite Saoirse Ronan performance ever. Um, look, I am most impressed and most loved and had my eyes most glued to the scene for Son Lathan. I... Look, I like to be democratic here on the tappies because I've learned my lesson from prior years. And although I would love to give Essie Davis some continued love awarding her in this category, looking out, we have nominated and awarded uh, other movies before. Obviously, Barbie won for Ryan Gosling with Harry Met Sally and Slips. I don't Seattle believe in extension. spreading the wealth. One. And that that's your that's your sinful loss, Christian. You know, when Harry Met Sally won the screenplay category, and I, I sort of talked you out of uh, awarding Gina Prince Bythewood and other opportunities. So, you know, I I would not be sad about awarding Sana Lathan here. Although perhaps it would be deferring to you, she may not be my first choice. She has to play this character, who is sort of you know sort of a tomboy who is really much more interested in basketball than she is in essentially anything else and 
still has to build this relationship across from Omar Epps, across these different periods of their life. And you watch Love and Basketball, you. and you wonder why Sana Lathan did not become a, a bigger star. Because she certainly had her moment in the spotlight. She's still very famous and successful. But this is a, a really wonderful performance. And, and she really becomes, like in my opinion, becomes like closer to the center of the movie um, when compared to Omar Epps's, um Quincy, where like maybe just maybe she's kind of like the lead character and, and he's like slightly supporting her. Not entirely, but I I think she carries the film, uh, in my opinion. I, I have a question for you. Yes. Who is your number one choice? I think, honestly, truthfully, looking at this list, my number one choice would maybe be Meg Ryan. <laughs> but... Okay. No, no, no. Then, then let's Im- the, let's implement the cat the the criteria I told you about earlier. Would you rather look at a tap a keg for Sana Lathan or tap a keg for Meg Ryan? Well, Christian, have you seen the hit film Alien vs Predator, in which Sana Lathan teams up with a predator? Because if not, that might that might be my option. <laughs> Um, um, it's it's no, I have not. You know, you are missing out. It's difficult though because both of them, their most iconic performances come in the '90s in the movies that we talked about on the show. It, it weren't they, these weren't the only periods of their career where they had success, but both of them have not had the types of you know did not remain massive stars. And so even answering that question is a little bit difficult for me partially because meg ryan's biggest movies were the nora efron movies uh, that we talked about where she is like a central character and top gun i mean yes but she is such a minor player She's such a minor in character that movie in it would not make sense to talk about top gun as part of nora efron month or uh meg ryan month excuse meg me and she made plenty of movies and leading roles worked with interesting filmmakers but you know they're just in terms of like building out um, a blend of the month or a, tapping a keg, I'm not entirely sure. So, what's the answer for you? I, I guess it's a combination of. No, I'm. I'm sure that Meg Ryan has been given more opportunities than Sana Lathan. We can discuss the reasons for that at a different I mean, point. just pure numbers. She has made more movies. So, do with that I as you think. Will. Maybe it's a different criteria looking forward toward the future. I would jump at the opportunity in the future if a movie was coming out that said starring Sana Lathan to try and explore what her filmography is. So, I can we give it to Sana Lathan? Let's do it, Christian. Amazing. We're get we're 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 giving it to Sana Lathan, and we're moving on basketball. to Best Actor, a category that you fleshed out with some truly interesting choices, I have to say. No, you're only mad at me for one choice. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's one where I'm, like, not sure about it either, but read them off. Mark Hamill for Star Wars A New Hope. Wesley Stipes for White Men Can't Jump. Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer. Billy Crystal for When Harry Met Sally. Ray Fiennes for the Grand Budapest Hotel. Hell yeah, brother. Scott Lentz's pick comes in hot. Um, I will say, when you had Mark Hamill on this list, I did add 
uh, in parentheses, an LOL. Because as much as I love Mark Hamill, and as much as I love Star Wars A New Hope, I do not think his performance in that movie is getting better with time. I think I find more fault with it as I age and rewatch these movies. So I think he's the epitome mm. of... I think he's the epitome of a teenage boy, like, trying to hit that um, coming-of-age story. Uh, sure. Um, but it's also a little bit whiny, and he doesn't really find that balance between being the snot-nosed kid who doesn't know what's going on and, le- and going on this adventure and I think he's a, a, a lovable hero. I think he's a perfect reflection of every teenage boy watching this movie. And um, I think the reason why it perfect works so reflection well is because is... every teenage boy can see himself in that. Well, Christian, I did not watch this film for the first time as a teenage boy. I watched it as a young boy, and that's when I liked the performance the most. Now I am a man, and I, <laughs> I have eyes to see <laughs> and wisdom You're to discern. You're a man? Who's turning one year older tomorrow? Indeed, I am. Indeed, I am. My birthday is coming up quickly. Um, that said, I, I am also curious about Wesley Snipes for his role in White Men Can't Jump, especially because you complained about my category fraud earlier, fitting Dave Bautista in for Best Supporting Actor. But again, White Men Can't Jump, if it has a central character, is Billy Hoyle, and it, it is more interested. There's no. It no, is more interested no, no, no. in Rosie Perez's Gloria as a love interest than it is in Wesley Snipes, Sydney and his family. Um, I, I Sydney and his family are a completely independent. I, they're. I'm talking about they're screen on their own time. Trajectory. I'm talking about screen time and lines. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, uh, um, Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs is in that movie for like twelve minutes. Yeah, it's insane and category fraud from the Oscars. It's the most no, legendary he, case. <laughs> he's definitely, I think, he's not the main lead performance, but his performance is definitely so important, crucial, and it has its own arc. He escapes. You yeah, know, and, and he sure does. And, and, and takes on a trajectory that he wants on his own. And guess what? The sequel to Silence of the Lambs is called Hannibal because it's more interested in him. I don't know. That's, maybe that's not the best argument to give. I think Anthony Hopkins is actually a lead in Silence of the Lambs. Um, I mean, that sure. Uh, I think that's... We're, this isn't a yeah. Silence of the Lambs conversation. Yeah, and, and Wesley Snipes is more of a leading actor in white men can jump than anthony hopkins is in silence of the lambs so category fraud be damned he's he's here in this category i really like Killian his Murphy. performance though i i will say I, i'm a fan of wesley snipes and it's nice to see him not in an action role which is where i've mostly seen him otherwise white men can jump sydney is a very lovable character especially as more yes. about him is revealed killian murphy though as j robert oppenheimer uh, once again, you have probably my favorite leading male performance of the year that was also covered on the show. I think his his turn here as the the father of the atomic bomb is pretty incredible. And I am so glad to see uh, someone like Killian Murphy, who has not really gotten to play a leading role in big budget pictures. Like he's normally leading in, in indie films and uh, playing supporting parts in Christopher Nolan movies and other big films. There's a smugness but... in him in this movie. Oh, yeah. That's so beautiful. <laughs> beautiful, sure. Um, but yeah, this this smugness and arrogance that comes from being, like knowing who he is as a scientist, that's brilliant. But also being able to 
to portray Oppenheimer on the other side of his life, where you see him ascending to becoming one of the, the smartest scientists in the world who, who brings incredible projects together that damned the world. And you get to see him on the other side of that too and see him be humbled and humiliated and play a martyr as uh, Robert Downey's uh, Admiral Strauss accuses him of doing. You really get to see him it, it, it across the phases of his life and he brilliantly captures every bit of Oppenheimer, both the, the young upstart womanizing basically a communist professor at berkeley all the way to the the mournful man who doomed the world and lives with regret it's a phenomenal performance none none the least of which is because we also get to see him through others eyes and the way that he plays oppenheimer from Strauss's perspective i think to me is what really ramps this performance up from a great like from a really good performance to a capital g great performance look um I, I would talk about Billy Crystal. He's phenomenal. That being said. In the same way that Meg Ryan's phenomenal. Let me talk about Ray Fiennes. Ray Fiennes in, in Grand Budapest Hotel is amazing. I love his performance. If I didn't dislike the movie as a whole, uh, I, 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 despite, despite um, despising the movie, Ray Fiennes is amazing. And it's a combination of him realizing he needs to take on the mentor figure. And therefore, you you see him need to work through what his thoughts are on what being a mentor is alongside being the manager of this hotel or whatever it is his title in this hotel is. Alongside him being a womanizer, he's tackling 80 different roles. And so you see him as a man who is busy. And therefore, what he portrays well is a man who needs to be efficient. And that comes through. And his efficiency his quickness his alertness comes through he is probably one of the most intelligent men characters that we are looking at right now i wanted to say look ray finds is an amazing choice for this category hey my guy also probably the single funniest performance in any wes anderson movie dude's hilarious as uh, as monsieur yes. gustave and uh, as i talked about on that episode the grand budapest hotel was the first wes anderson movie i ever saw it is still my favorite. I think the fact that it was first has something to do with that. And his hilarious performance is one of the things that got me interested in the movie in the first place and has not disappointed on any rewatch in the nine years since that movie came out. So I am very glad to hear it. I tried to fit in Royal Tenenbaum on, on this list. I was trying to figure out where, where I slot <laughs> Gene Hackman in, supporting actor, leading actor. But because you uh, are not as big a fan of that performance, I figured I might as well just pick Ray Fiennes and call it a day. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. It might be the only man in the world who's not. You, you are. It's your loss. <laughs> it's, Fine. We can, uh, we can leave Gene Hackman out. He is an honorable but mention this year. Tackle Billy Crystal. Why is Billy Crystal on this list? Well, I mean, Dude. I put him in, but why do you think Billy Crystal is on this list? Because he has utterly unbelievable chemistry with Meg Ryan playing this, like, uh, speaking of arrogant loser who is a total jerk to to um, to Sally early on in the movie, and then he goes through a divorce, and his world is rocked a little bit, and he 
changes and he never loses that essence of who he was but he softens he becomes more mature he loses some of that brashness and arrogance and becomes a more holistic man and then falling in love with sally changes him too and it builds to the point where he gets to deliver one of the greatest monologues in american film history and he gets to say the the line to sally at the end of the movie you know why is this all coming out right now because when you know who you want to spend the rest of your life with you want the rest of your life to start right now and it's it is such a wonderful performance again thinking just about how comedies tend to be undervalued in terms of quality of performance. It's very rare that out-and-out comedies or rom-coms, things like that, get awards recognition. A lot of times they go to dramas or historical biopics or um, I guess those are the two categories that are mostly recognized. You know, we talked about how horror is often not recognized either. Science fiction, rarely recognized. Um, genre films in general. The, it's a different skill set, and Crystal's comedic chops here are perfectly melded with just great dramatic character building. Uh, it's a it's a phenomenal performance. Let's make this easier for you. We'll cut Mark Hamill. He's not going to win. We'll cut Wesley <laughs> Mark, Snipes. I love He's you. He's not going to. Wesley Snipes is not going to win. Sorry, Wesley. That being said, if I could have dinner with one of these five people, it would be Mark Hamill. <laughs> Dude, I mean, that's probably probably my answer, too. I'd be too intimidated to sit down with Ray Fiennes and Killian Murphy. Um, no, you know what? I, 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 I could. I could have dinner with Killian Murphy. I wouldn't, although but I could. Wesley Snipes would also no, probably would. be very fun to have dinner with. Um, but okay. <laughs> he might karate chop me. Killian Murphy, Billy Crystal, Ray Fiennes. Um, I'm... My heart leans Killian Murphy. I, Where does your heart lean? My my heart also leans Killian Murphy because it's utterly unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> uh, I love, 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 love Ray Fiennes in the Grand Budapest Hotel. We're choosing favorites among favorites. And, and Killian Murphy, I mean, blew me away three times this year. So I highlighted his name. There we go. Christian, All right. we've talked through best supporting performances, leading performances, screenplays, and directors. I, we're not at Best Picture yet. We're not at Best Picture yet. You cut me off. But feel free to introduce this next category because it's uh, the one that's not technically on our outline here, but it is in a way. So go ahead and introduce it. I wanted us to talk through without needing to go. We've already kind of gone into most of these of most of the movies that we've seen therefore what we think about the kegs video game month was a disaster <laughs> I was about to say, video games month notably absent from this conversation <laughs> uh, we only reviewed seven animated movies this year even if we had had an animated movie category super mario brothers and sonic the hedgehog it would not be on there well sonic uh, the hedgehog is not an animated film christian actually so. super mario brothers i do like more than the jungle book <laughs> oh my gosh okay look for shame i let's i want us to talk about what the best keg was and and, and i want us to talk through it together because i mean betraying our hand for best picture star wars has very high representation here. <laughs> yeah i mean it's hard because star wars the original trilogy are some of my favorite movies ever and we did a whole blend that was just those movies so you also have 
a Wes Anderson month in which the Grand Budapest Hotel is one of my favorite movies ever. But it's also mixed in with two other Wes Anderson movies that I really greatly love but aren't quite at that echelon. You also have Nora Ephron, When Harry Met Sally, one of my favorite movies ever. But it's like Slivers in Seattle's close to that. Silkwood, very good movie, not among my personal favorites. So there are a lot of really good months mixed in with video games month and uh, as much as i love the guy and that Shyamalan month also very good but not great like some of these others were well there are a couple of issues with star wars though in that star wars you can't tap the keg anymore yeah you know it's true we could do the prequel trilogy uh, <laughs> it might be i would a more do the prequel experience. trilogy before ever touching the sequel trilogy um i might as well i i I'm glad that we're not famous or successful enough where our last Jedi episode wouldn't break the internet because um, I am a huge fan of that movie <laughs> and the internet I am too. might, uh, yeah, the internet might slay us for that opinion. But in terms of other well, so, blends that we could be inspired by, what what are you thinking in terms of an extension of a blend or, or a keg that we covered already? Well, well, we need to figure out if we're looking for a good amount of opportunity or we're looking for what has the highest quality per hit rate or i mean the highest hit rate because nora efron wrote several movies in her lifetime directed several movies in her lifetime but we're not I, I, there there is a point where you run out the same thing with m night Shyamalan. are you saying the bewitched remake with will ferrell and nicole kidman is not at the top of your uh watch list christian I have seen that movie. And? It is quite poor. <laughs> um, video games movie, I think, does not have a boom to it. Oh, first of all, it's not going to win. I'm, I'm not even going to try to explain why it's not going to win. It's just not going to win. Um, There's so many terrible movies we could watch, Christian, but we're not that kind of podcast. July 2023 can't win there's despite the fact that i liked every single one of those movies absolutely I, I loved all of those movies and there's there's other options from july 2023 for sure but for a whole other month of a podcast probably not um my heart is kind of leaning disney 100 Be, and, and maybe that speaks to the fact that you had us do our top five disney movies of of, of all time yo disney 100 getting to explore three different stages watching six movies of which i was i was not upset that i had that homework to do that was a great time um yeah we watched an absurd amount of disney movies on our respective downtime between episodes (laughs) i i almost made it all the way through disney history up to the year 2000 i didn't get everything before the year 2000 but i watched almost every movie before that it was it was a lot of movies and it was a great time did you watch all of the package movies? I did not. I okay. I watched the two propaganda films Disney made, Reaching Out to South America. Love that. And I watched Fun and Fancy Free, which I do not recommend. So I, I left the package films cool. there. Okay, then I also kind of liked Occult Supernatural Horror because those movies aren't that represented in the categories that we have here, except for The Babadook. But... I think that there's so much more we can do, and supernatural horror is just such a fun genre. There are always hidden gems to discover. 
Absolutely. We could but, we could make all just like downshift our podcast into a horror themed podcast and, or even just a supernatural horror themed podcast and just live there for years. We never run out. No. But Disney 100, man. Disney 100 was the most fun time I had doing homework for the show. If we 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 can also become a Disney podcast. That'd be fun. <laughs> um I got to say I had a lot of fun during the Modern High School movie month rewatching amazing month rewatching high school classics or or checking out some hidden gems for the first time was a blast for me so yeah if we're talking about what could become a new uh you know marathon on the show next year hard to do filmmakers a second time like Shyamalan Anderson Efron because we talked about some of the greatest hits obviously video games not great Star Wars original trilogy it's done basketball i'd love to talk hoosiers on the podcast which we covered in a a streaming recommendations episode in the past but basketball movies of course can be hit or miss just like any sport i've i i i was talking to you about this man yesterday who i had met who had jack nicholson's phone number yes he his um his sister also dated the director of hoosiers oh well good for good for her I, uh, I'm forgetting who directed Hoosiers. I thought of you as soon as he told me that story. David Anspa directed oh. Rudy and Hoosiers. Yes. No. So. So. Yes. I I have a story, but it's a it's it's slightly dirty, so I'm not going to tell it yet. So I'm not even sure what this category is anymore, Christian. If, if it's our favorite, that's probably Star Wars original trilogy. If it's the most fun we had, that might be Disney 100. If it's a keg that we would tap again or that we would uh, we would extend from maybe that's a cult supernatural horror or the modern high school movie is that does that about cover it would you say so it's either star wars or supernatural horror or um disney 100 well i the, the i always said was best right and I, one of the criteria that I did want us to consider is what we would top again. But of those three, Scott, where does your heart lean? I mean, if we're talking best, I go Star Wars because they're some of my favorite movies ever. So <laughs> I'm hard-pressed to choose against it. Um, if we're talking best, I don't know. If we're talking best, I do kind of lean Disney 100 because – there were so many movies that I could either rewatch or discover for the first time. Also, a remarkable consistency in quality. There, there were very yes. few Disney movies I gave a negative review to. Lots of positive reviews and some mediocre passing grades for sure, but still on the positive half of the one through ten scale. I guess it's do three movies make a keg? Because, to me, the original Star Wars trilogy is perfect and might be the best trilogy of all time. Actually, I I would say it is the best trilogy of all time. Not um, until Sonic the Hedgehog 3 comes out, Christian. Then a new challenger will enter the arena. Well, you just, you, you just said it. There's no Sonic the Hedgehog 3 yet. <laughs> Tron, Ares, we're still waiting for that. That's in development. <laughs> Wait, did it... So- wasn't there news about that recently? Um, there, I don't know. There may have been. Jared Leto is attached. Um, 
<laughs> There's like a director, maybe. That's that's what they were announcing. So it's between Star Wars and Disney 100. Um, and uh, honestly, uh, best keg. I take the definition of K to mean that there are multiple things you can do. And because Star Wars is just three things, I would go Disney 100. Okay, cool. We did it. <laughs> I got really confused at that category. <laughs> and Disney 100 takes the cake. Apologies to all the Disney haters. You you lose tonight, folks. And now, Christian, it's our nominees for Best Picture on Cinema Drip slash Cinema on Tap 2023. We have 10 categories. 10 nominees. We have, I mean, 10 nominees. 10 nominees. Would you care Whoever... to alternate names, Christian, so we both can get in on this? Before that, let's talk about the people who are on that special shelf that has the best picture for our podcast. And uh, I believe the first ever winner of uh, this category when we were Cinema Drip was uh, Do the Right Thing. The second ever winner was a tie, 1A and 1B, between Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance you and Parasite. You did not read that godforsaken subtitle. And Parasite, yes, balancing it out from the 2010's Best Picture blend of the month in the past. And last year, in 2022, among some truly great films, recent classics, all-time greats, science fiction, historical dramas... Naturally, we chose Titanic as our as our shared best picture of the year. You love Titanic. I did love Titanic. It was fantastic. This year, the ten nominees. Yes, let's alternate, and I will begin. Star Wars: The New Hope. Star Wars: The Empire Strikes Back. Star Wars: Return of the Jedi. Good job, folks. Lady Bird. <laughs> the Babadook. Beauty and the Beast. Love and Basketball. Oppenheimer. When Harry Met Sally. And Sleepless in Seattle. So for those of you counting at home, yes, that is all three Star Wars movies. <laughs> yes, that is two Nora Ephron movies. And we did once again get to talk about Greta Ger Gerwig and Gina Prince-Bythewood. The Babadook returns for its second category, and Beauty and the Beast makes its debut here on the Tappies. We're fitting nope. it in. Angela Lansbury. Oh, that's right. That's right. Angela Lansbury. We did talk about her. So all of these movies have been discussed before. All of them were in contention for other awards, and many of them did, in fact, win. Christian, I'm going to tell you right now, there are a few movies on this list that I've given a flat five-star rating to. And I'm very torn between The Empire Strikes Back and When Harry Met Sally for my personal winner. Where do you stand with this list of ten? Okay. Um, I would... Look, I'm not going to talk about Return of the Jedi because I've talked about that at length and I know that you don't like it. That is not true. I love Okay, the I know that you Jedi, don't like it as much as I but do. But yes, I do think it is the weakest of the original trilogy, although still a very good movie and one that I love and hope to rewatch many more times in my long, long life. Okay. Then let's make this let's make this quick. Not quick, but let's let's eliminate the need for superfluous conversation. You say you're saying Empire Strikes Back and when Harry met Sally, I would add a new hope and Lady Bird to that conversation dude i'm looking at this list and it's just like 
some absolutely incredible movies. <laughs> like, it's so hard to cut anything from this list of options. I have two movies at a four star rating and nothing else lower than that. Everything else is, is four and a half or five for me. So I think that's a good way of winnowing it down. Uh, to the just just two Star Wars movies <laughs> and two other classic uh, classic films, recent classics, or at least one of them is. But what do you what do you think, Christian? What do we do now? Uh, it's okay. It's A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, so Lady Bird, When my, Harry Met Sally. My Star Wars case. If we can pick a Star Wars to kind of enter the final round. I lean Empire. I used to say, and not like a hot take, but like everybody says Empire is the best Star Wars movie. And I used to say that A New Hope was my my personal favorite. And I think as I've returned to those movies and as I've watched them again, Empire starts to sneak out ahead of me because it it, it gets to expand upon everything good about A New Hope while also sanding down some of the edges that that first movie had. And really settling in to the like grand star wars style plus i think urban kirshner in his direction of that film is a it's a step up from lucas lucas obviously had has the vision the insanity and the the writing uh of bringing that first story together and helping to shepherd along the rest as a writer and producer but i think kirshner coming in as the director really ramps up the visual style of empire and helps it take that just that extra step past a new hope if you really want to eliminate a new hope i do want to say actually no i'm gonna fight for a new hope to stay in the conversation because there's something so fascinating because films i do believe are living documents about looking at star wars a new hope and knowing that from this just really really well made well scripted adventure story it spawned everything that we have now and there's something also so refreshing about watching a new hope and knowing that it is not bogged down by anything franchise related right like lucas incredibly is prophetic enough to say i want merchandising rights for these movies and the studios are like if that means we can pay you a lower salary that works for us mr lucas and now he's a billionaire but A New Hope is so largely unmarked by all the franchise trappings. It's coming up with the, the visual identity of Star Wars movies. It's got that first John Williams score. It's got the, the fastest and loosest definitions of the Force and Jedi and all these other things that get explored later on in Star Wars because we can't stop going back to that well. And refreshing is a good way of saying it. It, it really is going back getting to go back to the source and watching star wars without all of the baggage i think empire still has a little bit of that but you can also see lucas rewriting things on the fly in in that movie compared to the first one just like return of the jedi has some marked differences from (laughs) empire strikes back luke and leia of course being the most obvious but you can really feel that as he gets into that trilogy of just saying eh whatever (laughs) we're just gonna forget that that happened in the previous movie and we're gonna go with this now a new hope is the purest form and then talking about ladybird is like talking about i don't know a sunshine maybe a sunshine (laughs) on a cloudy day talking about ladybird is that is that first sip of ice cold water after a hard workout (laughs) 
I can't tell you how much I and I had to stop Lady Bird at one point and go like change my laundry. And I was so pissed that my alarm went off that I needed to change it. Yo, Lady Bird is just so awesome. And I, like, look, maybe this is bad criticism to just label the film as awesome, but it's so awesome. And it's so well performed. And I looked at that and I go, I could have watched this if it were eight hours longer and see what else she did during that school year. What did she do in that summer before she went off to college? How is her relationship? I want to know what her relationship to her mother is later because I was so invested in her and in her family. And then what was going on with that um, drama teacher who ended up suffering from depression and the crying after people didn't get... The, the great so Stephen many, McKinley Henderson showing up. There's so many details in that movie that make all of the characters so powerful and so sympathetic that um lady birds is, is one of the best movies of all time i mean i i don't know if i would say lady birds one of the best movies of all time but i would say that when harry met sally is so who who am i to talk i suppose because again to me like if you look at my review when harry met sally the first my most recent review because i reviewed it twice the first words are it's perfect if you look at christian's review for ladybird it's, <laughs> it's who am i kidding this movie is perfect so we're trying to argue about two movies that we hold so dear to our hearts and so close to perfection uh, i think for me when harry met sally it, like it has that perfect script it has all those moments that have become iconic and in the same way that it's hard to talk about say a new hope versus empire because one is like the sequel that improves upon the original that deepens the themes that expands the world you also have that pure distilled original that set the template in the same way with when harry met sally you have this iconic rom-com that revitalized a genre that had not been dead obviously but that had been not nearly as popular of course you have all of those uh, all of the screwball comedies of the 1930s and 40s that had a romantic element all the, like and often had a romantic element but the romantic comedy had gone through different phases and, and ebbed and flowed and Efron revitalized the genre and gave us all these moments that have become iconic from that movie I'll have what she's having is a thing that people still say and and now young people who have not seen this movie probably don't even know what it comes from but they know that phrase whereas Ladybird of course is the new entry into uh, pardon this phrase but into the canon you know it's this almost universally beloved movie that everybody agrees was the announcement of Gerwig as a major filmmaking talent and it, it's it's so hard to choose between these four movies because they are so near and dear to our hearts i i and multiple we consider to be perfect there i, I have three five-star movies in this conversation <laughs> so what do we do christian Every year we get to okay. Best Picture and we have to ask ourselves, what do we do? I think that we need to face the fact that it is going to be a Star Wars movie. <laughs> because we're boys and we like boy stuff. <laughs> I, I think so. With much love to tenderly observed young uh, femininity coming of age and beautiful romance. Uh, <laughs> We set aside <laughs> Greta Gerwig and Nora Ephron for George Lucas and his toys. Um, I mean, just want, are we just giving it to New Hope? Is that what we're doing? We're doing it? New Hope, best picture? 
I'm not upset if we give it to New Hope or Empire. Empire? Empire Best Picture? Huh? Empire? Empire? <laughs> I mean, do you, your preferred over between the two Star Wars movies is Empire Strikes Back? Yes. And I know, as you have told me, Empire is your third favorite of the original trilogy, which I don't quite understand. But as someone who used to say New Hope over Empire, I, I guess I can empathize with a little bit. Um, you know what, Scott? Let's give it to Empire. Empire Strikes Back, best picture, baby! What a year! Cinema <laughs> on tap! End the podcast now! I won! Wow, folks. Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, one of the greatest films ever made, now has yet another laurel to add to its, to its uh, shelf. Best picture for Cinema on Tap 2023. Christian, we did it we made our first inaugural tappies we gave awards yes we did we didn't kill each other all is well we should go through the nominees and winners indeed we did starting with a category you devised best supporting actress laurie metcalf for ladybird best supporting actor went to ryan gosling and all his kennergy for barbie (laughs) best actress was awarded to Sana Lathan for Love and Basketball. Best Actor went to... Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer. Best Screenplay? It went to When Harry Met Sally. Nora Ephron wrote that. And Best Director went to... Who else but George Lucas for Star Wars A New Hope. And ultimately, Christian, we gave Best Picture to... The, the Empire, Empire Strikes, Strikes Back. Back. Was, we, we say it in unison. Oh, man. What a year, Christian. What a year. This was a this was honestly a very fun year. Uh, reflecting on these different once blends now kegs, just got to watch a lot of great movies. Got to explore a lot of great filmographies and genres, and I am just pleased with this year in the podcast. What about you? This this year was a lot of fun. I think what also made this year really fun is um, I. I don't ever say this phrase, but I am saying it now. Scott, I'm finally ready to admit that movies are back. (laughs) Finally. Finally ready to admit. And yes, movies are so back, folks. They've never been this back. And we're having a great time out here in in Hollywood. Um, This has been an amazing year for movies. Yes, it has. I... My second home has basically been at the Arrow Theater in Santa Monica. I have been there so often, and I've seen new films, and I've seen repertory screenings of old films, and I keep on looking for opportunities to go back there. And 2023 has brought so many masters back with their movies, and um, I'm scared at what 2024 holds. I, I am hoping that it is going to be as awesome. But it also felt like people around me were going and watching movies. Yeah. I mean, people are going back to the theaters. Barbenheimer is going to be the defining cinematic experience of 2023. People are going to remember going to the movies and having girl gangs in pink going to see Barbie or seeing people weirdly wearing suits to go see Oppenheimer. Uh, We are going to remember that. And there were so many other experiences at the movies that people dug and it's happening again right now with stuff like hunger games being a surprise hit when people thought that franchise was dead or godzilla minus one being one of the biggest 
Japanese films in America, surpassed recently by The Boy and the Heron. Hayao Miyazaki is back, and it's the number exactly. one movie in America. I mean, yeah, movies movies are so thoroughly back. The experience of going to the theater is so thoroughly back. Repertory screenings are alive and well. Great movies are coming out of Hollywood and from all around the world. What a time to be a fan of movies, Christian. What a time. Absolutely. So, good year. Great year to discover movies on this podcast. I'm looking forward to you. You are in charge of January. I am. And you will find out what we're doing in January when we return here on Cinema on Tap because we're taking a quick break. Naturally, you are hearing this episode hopefully sometime soon. My birthday is December 15th. It is tomorrow. And I'm sure Christian will not have edited and produced this whole show because it's a long one in time for release tomorrow. But we will be dropping this very soon for you. So whenever you are hearing this, we will be taking the rest of December off. We're going to be doing some... Uh, holiday time with families and friends and whatever you are celebrating out there we hope you're having a wonderful end to your 2023 as well and hope you have a happy start to your new year when we will return hopefully january 5th is the first friday of that month when we will be back with our respective top 10s of 2023 which should be another exactly uh, should be another fun one and then i will share what's happening on the show in january as we uh, as we kick off a new year of cinema on tap, the first full year as cinema on tap. Absolutely, wonderful year. Looking forward to what we're going to discover next year. Looking forward to see where my life is going to go. Also. <laughs> of course. And with that, sir, I think we're ready to sign off. With that, folks, that is our show. So if you hung around for all almost two hours of the drippies, I mean the tappies. Wow. Got that wrong right at the end. Shame on me. Of the tappies, we sincerely thank you because it's you folks out there that we do this show for. And to know that there are folks tagging along with us week by week as we talk about Nora Ephron and M. Night Shyamalan and video game movies and basketball movies and horror movies and science fiction and everything else that we talk about here on this show. It just means a lot that there's folks out there listening along with us and having a good time too. So thank you for all the wonderful support for another year here on Cinema on Tap. There are a few things that you can do to support the show, of course. Number one, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating or a review if your podcatcher allows. Just helps us reach new listeners on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts and wherever else you get your podcasts. It would mean a lot to see those reviews start to roll in. Christian, I have noticed we've jumped to uh, to a couple more five-star reviews that have come in on Spotify. So if that's you out there, folks, thank you. We greatly appreciate it. You can also follow myself and the show on Twitter, Christian on Instagram, and the both of us on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we're watching. A lot of 2023 reviews over the next couple of weeks as we do some homework for the for the uh, top 10s. And of course, if you have any feedback for us, have ideas for kegs you want us to tap in the new year, or just movies you want us to talk about and we can figure out a keg to tap based on that movie, send us an email to cinemaontappodcast at gmail.com. We are regularly checking that inbox and looking for listener feedback on the show. So we would greatly appreciate it. Again, that is cinemaontappodcast at gmail.com. Christian, I am ready to basically uh, go to bed. <laughs> so any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home? I've had to pee for the past 10 minutes. Ooh, Christian's got to pee, folks. So we got to say goodbye for 2023. We'll see you again in 2024. Until next year, this has been Cinema on Tap. Thanks for listening.